Well, if you don't know me, my name is Sam. I'm the family pastor here. I want to start off with a story this morning. Um, many of you know that Julie and I, my wife, Julie and I's dating relationship was uh, not the typical story. Um, in fact, you know that if you know about our dating time, you know that it was pretty dramatic. It got off to a good start. We we dated for about eight weeks. Things were going well. Things were going well. I asked her out in the middle of a sermon, you know, as all guys do. Recommend it. It worked with her. Um, Astronaut Millennium, I used a cheesy pickup line, so cheesy I will never repeat it, but uh, it worked. Uh, we got off to a good start. We were getting to know each other. We dated for about eight weeks when um, I was given some very disappointing medical news. The doctors that I had been seeing about some issues I've been having discovered a growth in my brain, and it was going to require surgery. It was, um, going, it was a surgery that was very dangerous. It was going to have a long recovery time, and the outcome of that surgery was not certain. There was a lot of, you might be paralyzed, you might be da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, and so having dated Julie for only eight weeks and realizing that we had not talked about marriage, that she was not my fiance, and we were still getting to know each other, I came to her, and not in these exact words, but basically I gave her an out. I said, hey, um, something to the effect that I understand if this is too much for you, We're just dating. If you want out of this, because this is going to be a long road of recovery. If you want out of this, I do not. I will not have no hard feeling, um, no hard feelings. And I will never forget what Julie said back to me. Again, not these exact words, but basically what she said was, I am with you. She said, I am going to walk through you with this. I am going to support you through this. I am going to comfort you, help you, be with you. And in that moment, I told myself and God, if I make it through this, I'm marrying her. That was the moment, really. That was the moment. As soon as I got better, I looked for a ring. But Jesus, but uh, my wife's words, to my now wife's words to me right then are very similar to what Jesus wants to say to us today. He wants us to hear this. I am with you. So let's look at our passage at John 16. John 16, verses 4 through 15. We've been reading through Jesus' final words to his disciples. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to die for the sins of man, and the disciples are distraught because their teacher is leaving them, the person they've been with for years and who has guided them through tough times and has taught them so many things is leaving them. And so Jesus is giving them his final words, preparing to to send them out into the world. And so his final words are so important for us because we too are sent out like him to make, like the disciples, to make disciples. So we should be hanging on to every word, every word of Jesus, but especially these final words. And so in our passage tonight, we find the disciples, and they are worried. Verse 6 says that sorrow has filled their hearts, filled it up. There's no room for anything else. You can imagine in this upper room where Jesus is meeting with his disciples that there is a cloud of grief. And this is not the grief that you experience when you can't get that free two-day Amazon shipping. This is, uh, this is not the grief you feel when you go to the Pinto on Monday morning and it's closed. Hit that one gets me every time. Um, it's not those kinds of griefs. This is a grief that is deep pain, mental pain, physical pain. Why are the disciples experiencing so much sorrow? Well, verse 5, Jesus has just told them, I'm going back to him who sent me. He's going back to the Father. He's leaving them. And furthermore, he's just told them that not only is he leaving them, but that persecution is coming. In chapter 15, just before our passage, in verse 20, he says, A servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In other words, those who have hated me, those who are about, who hate me, who are about to arrest me and put me on the cross and kill me are going to hate you as well, my disciples. So you can imagine they're pretty distraught because he's told them, basically, look, I, your shepherd, am leaving, and the wolves are coming. The wolves are coming. And you can tell they are just broken because in verse 5 it says, none of you ask me, Jesus says, none of you ask me, where are you going? Jesus has said, where are you going? Or Jesus has said he is going. None of the disciples are asking, where are you going? These are the disciples who've had so many questions throughout the Gospels. Peter, who has often spoken at inopportune times, is quiet. He's silent. And this is betraying what's going on in their heart. They are consumed with not just sorrow, but worry. They're worried about what is coming. They're worried for their life. They don't know what's going to happen. And the disciples are asking themselves, what is going to happen to us? I feel like if you, had, if you were in that room and you had a knife, you could cut the tension in the room if you were in that room. But Jesus, being God, he knows their hearts, and he begins to speak into their situation just like he speaks into our distress. Verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So it is better for me to leave, says Jesus. It is better that I go and for the Father to send this helper. Well, who is this this helper? Because I can imagine the disciples looking up at Jesus and saying, but Jesus, who could be better than you? We've seen the miracles you've done. We've heard your teaching. We know that you are God. Who, who could be better than you? What could be better than having you next to us? So who is this helper? Well, Jesus has spoken about this helper before in the same upper room discourse. Chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And then in chapter 15, he says, When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. That Greek word translated helper is parakletos, and it is a hard word to translate. Scholars argue over it because it's hard to find an English word that can take everything that word means. You can think of it like this. Your translation may say comforter or advocate. This word could mean teacher, coach, lawyer, parent, um, counselor, and one and more. There's no word that can really take in this word because this word is used for the spirit of God. This word is talking about God, the helper that will come when Jesus leaves the disciples and who will come to us when we believe is the spirit of God. Now remember, we know this. God is one. There's one God, but God is three in one. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's one of the great mysteries. All three are equal. All three are equally God. They are not different. And Jesus is saying that the Spirit is going to come. So how is it better for Jesus, who is the same as the Spirit, to leave? How is that better? Well, Jesus, remember, Jesus has taken on flesh. This is the gospel. Jesus has come. He has seen our sinful condition, so he has taken on flesh himself, and he has walked with the disciples. And because he has taken on flesh, he is limited physically by the flesh. He cannot be with every disciple at every time because he is in a body. He's in flesh. And though he is God, he is also man. But what he's saying is that if he goes... 
when he goes to the cross and his flesh gets crucified, it gets destroyed along with all of our sin, then he will go to the Father and the Father will send a helper and this helper will not have the restriction of the flesh and this helper, the Spirit, will indwell each one of us and that, and all of a sudden Jesus will be able to be in every single one of us, the full power and presence of God in each one of us. And uh, if you are here and you're maybe wondering, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean? I'm, I'm trying to figure out this Christian thing. What is this? It means that, one, you are, when you place your faith in Jesus, you are saved, yes, but it also means that God comes, you have access to God. He comes and indwells you by his Spirit. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, yes, I am leaving, and it hurts. I know, it, I know it's sad, but I am sending one who is going to give you everything you need to face what is coming. He will be in you. He won't just be with you. He'll be in you. So any difficulty, church, that comes our way, any persecution, any he's telling us today that any persecution, any difficulty, any opposition that comes our way can, can be overcome by the power of God with us. I am with you, says Jesus. The book of Acts, I love the book of Acts. It gives so many examples of this. There's this one story where Paul, Paul the apostle, he goes to the city of Lystra, and he's there, he's teaching, he's teaching uh, to people there about Jesus, and a riot stirs up, and they grab Paul, they stone him, they think he's dead, so they drag him outside of the city and basically throw him in a ditch. The disciples go and check on him, and Paul, Paul gets up, and walks back into the city. He's bruised, he's beaten, he's walking straight back into the city of the people that threw him out of it, beaten. If you read that story, you gotta ask the question, did, did he have something wrong in his head? I mean, imagine, you go into a city, you teach about Jesus, you get stoned within an inch of your life, thrown out, what do you do? Paul walked right back in the gate, and then he came back even later. So was Paul insane? No. He believed in the power and presence of God. He believed that God's spirit was with him. And as he walked into that city to preach the gospel, the spirit was going ahead of him to change hearts and move. And Jesus wants us to know that too, that as we walk, as we talk with people, as we love people, God is moving, he's working alongside us to bring people into faith in Jesus I, I am with you, he says. Now, the Spirit works in three ways that we see in our passage. If you look at verses 8 through 11 with me, we're going to go through these three ways. Verse 8, Jesus is talking about the Helper. And when the Helper comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So the spirit, our helper, is going to come. He's going to do three things. He's going to convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. And so first, we're going to go through these one by one. First, verse 9, the spirit will convict the world concerning sin. What is Jesus talking about here? He says, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. What he's saying is that the Spirit, there, there are going to be those who do not believe in Jesus. And he's saying that the Spirit is going to come and the Spirit is going to convict them of their sin. The Spirit is going to convict the world of their sin. He's going to expose it. You may remember the story of Jesus in the Gospels. He's, he's a, a rich young ruler comes up to him and he asks Jesus, 
teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus and this rich young ruler, they have this um, discussion. And at the end of the discussion, it's revealed that this young man has a love for money. He's living in sin in that way. And so Jesus exposes his sin, and Jesus does this throughout the gospel. We talked about one in youth a few weeks ago where this lawyer comes up to Jesus, and he, he's asking Jesus, Who is, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. And the guy asks, well, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells a parable, and the end result is that Jesus reveals that this man does not want to love his neighbor, that he is living in that kind of sin. So Jesus was the one who exposed people's sin when he was with the disciples. And he's saying the spirits will do the same thing with you as you go. So for each of these things, these three things that we're going to look at, I'm going to talk about what our job is and what's not our job. So you can think of it like this, what we're not to do and what we are to do. So in this case, the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin. Here is what you and I do not do. We do not take over the Spirit's work. We do not usurp the Spirit's role. He is the one who will convict of sin. It is not our job to point the sins of other people out, to point it out and say, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. That is not our job, not our job description. But what do we do? What do we do? We remain faithful. We reach out to people, and we love them genuinely. We get to know them. It is our job, church, to go to people, to reach out to them, to build relationships, and to gently bring them to the feet of Jesus and ask them, beg them, implore them to believe in him. And the Spirit will convict them of their sin. We do not do the convicting of the sin. We do not come to we do not come on someone to come to someone with a list of sins we've observed and say, "Hey, I've noticed you've done this, 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 this. You're a sinner. You want to come to our church potluck?" Doesn't work that way. <laughs> or at least you can try it. I don't. I wouldn't try it. But so what do we do? We preach the gospel, and the gospel does include the truth that we are all sinners in need of God. We don't leave that out, but we don't. It's not our job to convict them of their sin. That's the Spirit's job. And that's what Jesus wants his disciples to know. He's saying, as you go out into the world, my spirit is going to go with you. And as you teach about the gospel and as you try to bring people to faith, he will convict them of sin. He will do it. It's your job, my disciples, to be faithful, to go. I will do the convicting. So that's number one. The spirit will convict the world concerning sin. Number two, the spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness. This one kind of goes along with the first one. Jesus says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Jesus was the perfect embodiment of righteousness, right? He lived a perfectly obedient life before God. He was the disciples' example of how to live for God. And so now he's leaving and the disciples are asking, well, who do we follow? Who, who is our example? Who's going to lead us in righteousness Who's going to show us how to live? And we ask this question as Christians a lot, too. We ask, what is God's will? What do I do in this situation? What is the, you could say, the righteous thing to do, the right thing to do, what God would have me do? And Jesus is telling them that the Spirit is now your example of righteousness. He will convict the world concerning righteousness. It's, that's his job. So again, here's what we don't do. Here's what we do. Here's what we do not do. We do not attempt to force our Christian values down someone's throat. It's, it's like we, we do not attempt to force someone into a Christian mold that we know. Have you ever had someone give you unwanted advice? 
surely we can all relate to this. Ra raise your hand. Have you ever had someone give you unwanted advice? Yeah, common thing that happens. Um, you know, you're working through something in your life. You're trying to figure something out, and you confide in someone. And rather than just listen and be a good sounding board, they just start rattling off everything you should do. They're telling you you're doing the wrong thing. You should do this. You should do that. And they're trying to give you advice. I have to watch myself with my wife with this one because I do the stereotypical guy thing. If she brings a problem to me, I want to fix it. I want to fix it. I want to make the problem better, but I'm supposed to listen. I just need to listen. I need to let her process. I need to let her think through these things. And then when she's ready, give my advice. But when we try to force our Christian values down someone's throat who's not a Christian, that's what it feels like. It's when that you get that unwanted advice and you're just like, I didn't ask you. I didn't ask you. So that's not our job. And it can be so easy to take over the Spirit's role in this. And I see this most, most on social media. Social media has done so many good things, but one of the things it has done is it's made us kind of able to not see people who are different from us as people. And I see Christians spitting hate and shame on people for their sins through comments and sharing things, hateful things. And I just think that's not our job. That's not our job. That's not even what God does. God does not heap shame on people for their sins. He does not heap guilt on them. He forgives them. He loves them and genuinely brings them into faith by his spirit. So here's what we do. Like before, we remain faithful. We bring people to the feet of Jesus, and we encourage them to follow him. And we let the spirit, who is God, radically change their heart. Ezekiel in the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, chapter 36, Ezekiel is prophesying about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in verses 26 and 27. He says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He's saying that the spirit is going to come and change hearts. And it is only the Spirit who can make our sinful hearts flesh, the ones who are um, stone flesh. So our helper, the Spirit, as we go out and we make disciples, he is going with us, and he is going to show us and others how to walk in the path of righteousness. You know, the path of righteousness, we, we are all on this path, and we are all at different points. Christ is making us into his image, and we're all at different points on this path. But it's so easy for us to try to take over that role and make people walk in a righteous path ourselves. No, that's the Spirit's job. So number two, the Spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness. And then the third and last, verse 11, the Spirit will convict the world concerning judgment. Jesus says, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Our good God has an evil enemy. His name is Satan, but Satan has been defeated by the death of Jesus on the cross. He's been defeated, and that, de that defeat will be complete when Jesus comes again. But until then, the effects of sin remain, and that means that man's judgment is flawed, and some men and some women are going to follow the ways of this world. They're going to follow the one who rules this world, who is Satan. They're going to follow him. Some people will follow the enemy, and they will hate Christ and they will hate anyone who loves Christ. That's what Jesus was saying. Persecution is coming. Opposition is coming. So what do we do? Well, here's what we don't do. We don't take it upon ourselves to judge other non-Christians as unsavable. Again, we can jump into that spirit's role, and we can look at someone and think, man, they're following the ways of this world. They are so evil. 
There's no way I'm going to try to reach out to them. There's no way that they can turn from their sin. We can look at a man or a woman and say to ourselves, there's no way they'll come to faith, and so we don't even try. That's not our job. Here's what we do. We trust that God's Spirit, who is God, who has triumphed over Satan on the cross, can overcome anyone who is following the ways of this world. We trust that God's Spirit will triumph in over any force of evil. No one is beyond the saving love of God. That means ISIS. That means corrupt leaders. That means your neighbor who mows his yard at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning. No one is beyond the love of Jesus. We don't get to decide who to love. The Spirit will judge. Our job is to bring people to the feet of Jesus. Now, here is what all this means. Imagine you're one of the disciples. You've been racked by sorrow and grief and worry, but Jesus has just is promising you this, that with him, with the helper, with the spirit that we, which we have, they will prevail. God will prevail. Jesus is not leaving them to face this world on their own. He has not left us to face this world on our own. Opposition will come, but he has not left us to face that opposition by ourselves. He's telling them, no, I am going with you. I am leaving, but my spirit is going to come and indwell you, and he is going to go with you. And I think that sometimes we just, you know, we talk a lot about God, we talk a lot about Jesus, but we kind of don't talk about this other, this really important part over here, the spirit, that when Jesus left, the spirit has come. And what he's saying is that, you know, our, our default is to think that, you know, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to make disciples, but then we, we start panicking or we start slowing down because we think, but wait, I don't know the Bible enough. Or, I'm not good at talking with people, and so we back up. And see, we start to rely on our own ability. When we do that, fear creeps in, doubt creeps in. But if we believe that if, if the Spirit of God is walking through us, who exposes sin, who leads people in righteousness, there should be no fear. So when you go out of this room this morning, and you go to Batesville, or you go to Southside, or Cave City, or Melbourne, or wherever you live, you need to know that God is moving. Your helper is coming alongside you, in you, and he is working for you and with you. When you go into your circles of friends, your neighborhoods, your family, God is moving. When you speak to your coworker or neighbor about Jesus, you're not the only one speaking. God is speaking in a way you can't even imagine to their heart. When you encounter that person who is opposed to Christianity, maybe even um, hostile, to some of the things when, that God says, you do not have to fear because you know that God has triumphed. This, the, the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged. No one is beyond saving. And that, that also goes for when you look at someone in your life who does not believe. And you look at them and you hope they believe. You care about them deeply. You want them to believe so much. You can find comfort and peace because this, you know the Spirit is working. I am with you, says Jesus to his disciples. So three points of application. Three points of application this morning. Number one, rely on the Spirit, not yourself. We are about to do our pray and go this week, so we're going to be going out to our neighborhoods. We're going to be praying for homes and leaving little um, info cards about our services. Um, it could be so easy, church, to go out and not realize that as you are walking and as you are praying for people, that the Spirit is going with you, that he is, go he is working in the homes that you're praying for. 
And that is so powerful. So as you go and as we, as we pray and go, do not think that nothing will happen. Do not discount and think, no one's going to come because we left a card in their mailbox. No, the Spirit can bring anyone. Pray that the Spirit will bring people into faith. Rely on the Spirit, not yourself. And this is a practice, relying on the Spirit and not yourself. Um, men and women who know that they are not alone and who live that out, practice it every day. So I would encourage you, memorize one of the verses on the bottom of your Connect card. There's two there that talk about how God is with us as we go. And I would encourage you to do this. The staff recently went to a conference called Dwell, and they began every um, session with a prayer. I thought it was a little cheesy at first, but then the more we did it, the more I realized how powerful it was. And this is all that prayer is. When you start to pray in your morning prayer, your your Devo time, whenever you do that, pray this, Jesus I am here, you are here. That's it. Pray that, because when you pray that, you are acknowledging that Jesus, you're not praying to Jesus some, in some faraway place. You're acknowledging that he is right there with you, and he's going to be with you throughout the day. So rely on the Spirit. Learn to rely on that and not yourself. Because, guys, when you think about this, when we hear these truths about what the Spirit does, it should bring us peace because it can be so tempting to hear Jesus' command to go and make disciples, and we freak out because we think, there's no way I can do that. I can't show people their sin. I can't make, tell them how to live. I can't, I don't know the Bible enough to preach to people, but what Jesus is saying is, don't worry. My spirit goes with you. You don't have to fear. You can go. So that was number one. Rely on the spirit, not yourself. Number two, gather, don't scatter. I tried to make all my application points uh, rhyme, but they all didn't. But this one did. Gather, don't scatter. So after Jesus says these things, he goes to the cross. But before he goes to the cross, he gets arrested. And what do the disciples do when Jesus gets arrested? They scatter. He gets arrested and they run off. Some of them follow him, but they're hiding. And we don't see them again until after Jesus is resurrected. But what happens to the disciples after Jesus is resurrected and the Spirit comes? They are in the streets teaching about Jesus. They are getting beaten, thrown in prison for the gospel. They are totally trusting and believing that God is with them because the Spirit has come upon them. We witness in Scripture a total transformation when the Spirit comes on the believer, and the same is true for us. So I challenge you this morning, church, don't scatter, gather. When you go out of this church, it is so easy to hide, to scatter, to, to not say anything about your faith when you leave this building. Don't scatter and hide after church for the Spirit goes with you. Instead, gather at the church and find strength together. The Spirit moves through this place to strengthen us so that when we go out, we know that we are not alone. So number two, gather, don't scatter. Number three, last one, ask yourself. I love self-reflective questions, so I always have one of these. I think they allow the Spirit to speak to us in amazing ways. Ask yourself this question. Are you hiding? Are you hiding like the disciples did when Jesus was arrested? I really enjoy watching comedy specials. A lot of people don't know that about me. But I love watching comedy specials. Um, And in junior high, I really loved Jeff Foxworthy. Y'all know who I'm talking about? I don't know. I don't know if he's still a thing. But um, I love Jeff Foxworthy. He was the guy, his, his famous line was, you might be a redneck if fill in the blank. One of my favorites was, if you ever cut your grass and found a car, then you might be a redneck. 
But I loved watching Jeff Foxworthy, and I want to use his, his kind of line, if you blank, then you might be blank, because Jesus has promised us that persecution is coming. And in our case, in our culture, you know, I don't think we're going to experience the same persecution that um, the disciples experienced. I don't think anyone's going to come in here and throw us out of the church. But opposition will come. When you, when you put yourself out there in faith, it'll come. People will say, really, you believe that? Are you sure? That seems crazy. Christianity says, what about that? I can't go with that. If you have not experienced any kind. Wow. That's the spirit right there. (laughs) If you have not experienced any rejection or opposition or discomfort in your walk with Christ, then you might be hiding. If you have never had someone say to you, really, Christianity says that? I don't know if I can believe that or I don't know if. That sounds crazy. Anything like that. You might be hiding. And if it is, if, if that is you, then I challenge you. Hear the words of Jesus. Because if people say that they can't go for what you believe or that that sounds weird or that, you know, fill in the blank with whatever people may see, we see here in this passage that Jesus is the one who changes hearts, not us. The Spirit changes hearts, not us. It is our job to just be faithful, love them, bring them to the feet of Jesus, Show them how good he is by our love and let Jesus do the hard work. At Beeson Divinity School, where I was going to seminary, uh, in the chapel, there are, there are six um, statues, one for each martyr from a different continent. Um, and one of these statues is of a woman named Sister May Heyman. And uh, May was an Australian missionary. She was a missionary to Papua New Guinea. She um, worked um, at Canberra Hospital. She was a... Uh, a nurse there. She treated people. She brought medicine to the natives of Papua New Guinea. And uh, in addition to that, she worked with the Anglican mission. She was an Anglican missionary who uh, brought Jesus and was working to bring the natives to faith in Christ. And uh, she was known for being gentle, for loving people, for, for just being one of those people that you wanted to be around. You know, she had a gentle spirit, love for people, uh, very generous. And it was her love for the people of Papua New Guinea that led her to stay there when danger arose. Because you see, the year was 1942. World War II was getting into full force. So the Japanese Empire was taking all the islands in the Pacific. They were coming down and conquering all of them. They were coming. They were invading. And so May's bishop actually sent to her and the rest of the missionaries, hey, if, if you're going to leave, now's the time. You've got to get out now. The Japanese army's coming. If they find you, they're going to kill you. And this is what May replied, direct quote, and I love this. What will the sick do if I move from here? What a woman. What a woman of faith. What will the sick do if I move from here? She chose to stay behind and do what God had called her to do, caring for the sick. This was a brave woman. Eventually, the Japanese did invade Papua New Guinea. She stayed for a while longer. They started bombing the area where her and her friend were, so they had to flee into the jungle. Eventually, though, unfortunately, uh, tragically, a native local betrayed where they were to the Japanese soldiers. Soldiers came. They found them. They took them to a field where graves had been dug, and they stabbed them both with bayonets for being Christians. 
And I think we may look at this story and we may ask, was May some kind of super Christian to have that kind of faith? To think that she was going to be all right? No, May was not some kind of super Christian. She was no different than you or me. If there was any difference between her and us, it was that she believed in the power and presence of the Spirit of God within her. She believed that no matter what, God was going to provide, that God's power, his presence would overcome. But May died. She did. But even in death, the Spirit provided. Her soul was returned to Jesus, to God. And the Spirit did mighty works through here. Countless missionaries have found inspiration from her story and have gone out to the world to bring others to Jesus. May Haman, along with other Christians throughout the centuries, have gone out into the world believing to the core what Jesus says that when we go, God goes with us, he will overcome. And even if the world throws the worst thing it can at us, death, God will still overcome. He has overcome. And if you are new and you have not um, believed in Jesus, you need to know that, that we find hope even in death as Christians because God has overcome the grave, and that is what we are celebrating this Easter. But I challenge us, let us walk the same way that Mayhaman did, the same way that hundreds, thousands of Christians have walked before us, believing that as we walk, there is no reason to fear, for God is with us. I leave you with Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And here's the important part. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for the rain, the sun, Father, we thank you for this season of Easter, and we thank you for how you showed, have shown so much mercy to us. Not only have you come and forgiven our sin, but you have given us a helper, a mighty helper, one who can do things that we cannot do. And Father, this helper is our comforter. He is our advocate. He is our everything, God. Father, I pray that as we go out from this place that we will remember and know that you walk with us. There is never a moment when we are not in your presence. You have graciously given us your presence. So Father, I pray that now as we respond in song to the good news, that we do not walk alone. I pray that we praise you with everything we have. Be with us this Easter season. In your name I pray. Amen.